First Corinthians chapter 13, beginning with verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Let's pray together. Lord, thanks for uh, your goodness and grace. We are uh, privileged to uh, be among your people, and we thank you that this is the case. And we thank you that uh, Jesus Christ uh, died and paid the penalty due to us for our sins. And not only so, he uh, lived a perfect life, and uh, because uh, this is the case, and because he uh, did it also for the likes of us, uh, we not only have our uh, sins uh, forgiven, uh, but we have uh, his uh, good life, his righteousness laid to our account. And uh, through faith in him, then uh, we have right standing before you. We're grateful that this is the case, and uh, we pray that you'd uh, more and more impress uh, this upon us. Uh, so bless us as we uh, continue in our uh, little study of uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, we pray, Father, that you'll uh, be pleased to bless and encourage us so that we might live uh, for you. Uh, grant us this grace, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The uh, question that is uh, behind uh, our study uh, is this. Uh, what is the best evidence for the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer? And Paul is arguing uh, the case for love being the best evidence for uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And he's contrasting love uh, with various gifts. And uh, as you see in uh, verse 8, of 1 Corinthians 13, he mentions uh, prophecy, knowledge, and tongues. And of course, these were three prominent gifts that were uh, being exercised uh, in the church at Corinth. And uh, Paul is bringing a correction to uh, how these gifts were being uh, exercised and putting in perspective uh, their... Uh, uh, usefulness and uh, contrasting love uh, with these gifts. And First Corinthians 13 is kind of, a, as I've put it before, kind of an interlude in the uh, 
uh, argument that Paul presents in chapters 12, 13, and 14. Uh, Because he says at the end of uh, chapter 12, and I will show you still a more excellent way. And, uh, of course, the more excellent way is love. And uh, then he, he, he breaks into this contrast between love and the gifts in uh, verses 1 through 3. And then in uh, verses 4 and following, he gives us uh, this description of love. And again, we know it's a description of love because uh, as you look at the first uh, piece of uh, verse 4, love is patient. It's a simple sentence uh, with a linking verb. And uh, the word patience is a predicate adjective and uh, because this is the case, a simple grammar is uh, telling us that this is a description of love. And uh, although many uh, approach 1 Corinthians 13 as a definition of love, uh, grammatically, uh, as you look at the text, this is not the case. It's a simple description of love. So, uh, again, we have to... Uh, go to uh, other texts to uh, see the uh, definition of love. And uh, last week, uh, I pointed you to First uh, John. First uh, John, and so you can turn back there again. First John chapter 5 and uh, verse 3 as uh, one of the scriptural definitions of love. Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul, and this is interesting or significant, is it not? John is the Apostle of love. This is how we understand him. And so he gives us this definition of love. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. And it's not just the commandments written that are the definition of love, but it's it's the matter of keeping the commandments. What, what is love? Uh, love is the keeping of the commandments of God. And uh, so we have to uh, keep this in mind, uh, uh, that this is certainly the case. So again, we have this uh, description of love on one hand and the uh, definition of love on the other hand And uh, this description of love and this definition of love uh, go together. And uh, I didn't have time to uh, really uh, get into this last week, so uh, I want to push it a little bit more uh, this week. The power of love that undergirds the definition and the description of love. And so, if you turn in your Bibles to John, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 5, and it's just a little snippet in verse 5 that Paul gives us in a larger argument. He says in verse 5, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so now the description of love in 1 Corinthians 14 and the definition of love in 
1 John chapter 5 are objective uh, in the sense that we have this objective uh, description and this objective definition. So they're out there, so we can see them. And uh, you can make lists. <laughs> and this is exactly what the Apostle Paul says. Lists that we can read. But now, uh, John is coming to us and saying, uh, love, uh, the love of God is poured out in our hearts. Now you have the subjective side. And uh, when uh, pastors uh, or prospective pastors particularly are uh, examined before uh, uh, the presbytery. The presbytery had uh, an exam which is called uh, experimental religion, okay? uh, which means uh, you're zeroing in on the experience of religion. Uh, that is, the subjective side. And this is what the Apostle Paul is doing here. The love of God is poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That is given to us. So now, uh, now we have a third element, you see. Not only the description of love and the uh, definition of love, but now the power of love that undergirds, because it's the keeping of the commandments, as, as we'll uh, emphasize in a little bit uh, further, the keeping of the commandments in a particular manner uh, that's important. And the power of God is at work uh, within you and me uh, to follow the commandments of God and not only to keep the commandments of God, but to uh, keep the commandments of God in a particular manner. And uh, I tried to emphasize this last week again uh, with the ninth commandment that zeroes in on truth. Uh, for example... When you tell the truth, you must be patient and kind. <laughs> be kind when you tell the truth. And uh, be patient in telling the truth. Uh, uh, and uh, this is an important aspect of love. So, so you, ha you have this little trinity with a small t. Uh, you see, these three things uh, that come together uh, to help us uh, properly understand uh, the love of God, uh, which uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is getting at. And then uh, uh, go back to Ezekiel 36, another uh, very familiar text. Ezekiel 36. And it's verses uh, 26 and 27. And I will give you a new heart. Okay. Uh, now we're talking about new birth, correct? New heart. I will give you a new heart. Uh, verse 26 again. And I will, uh, uh, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. Now, now, I think these two ideas go together. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. In other words, I'm going to change your inner being. You're going to be a different person. I'm going to change who uh, you are 
in the center and core of your being. Oh, you, you, you'll still be recognized <laughs> outwardly, but inwardly uh, you will be different. And so verse 26 again, I will put, give you a new heart and a new spirit uh, I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. Okay, so you're going to be different. You're not going to be hard-hearted any longer. Uh, uh, where the Word of God comes to you, and, and it's like throwing a ping-pong ball against the wall, it bounces off. <laughs> uh, no, uh, the Word of God is going to come to you, and that new heart is going to absorb that Word. It's going to take in that Word. And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, a soft and pliable heart, and I will put my spirit within you. And what is the result then of this change of heart and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in you? I think too often, friends, you and I gloss over this and we take it for granted because many of us have been in the church for a long time and we've heard these things year after year, beginning with week after week, and we kind of take it for granted. But God is doing something revolutionary with individuals like us. And uh, he says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to observe my ordinances. Uh, uh, the Spirit of God is going to cause you to walk in his statutes and be very careful to observe his ordinances, to study these things and then to carry them out, to keep the commandments of God. And so all of a sudden you see now that these three things that we've been talking about come together. The description of love, the definition of love, and the power of love come together so that your life and my life is changed and you actually begin to carry out the content of love, which is this definition, and the character of love, which is this description in 1 Corinthians 13. So you become, this is, this is what's to take place. You become a loving person. <laughs> what a good thing this is. God is transforming bit by bit and moment by moment and piece by piece. He's transforming you and me into loving 
individuals. And uh, so now it's helpful for us uh, to uh, see the description of love uh, in this way. So you go, uh, to, to be able to go back and understand the description of love with the background of uh, the commandments of God which give us a definition of love and the power of love which comes to us subjectively by the Holy Spirit. And I just really like this pithy little statement of W.G.T. Shedd. He was a Southern Presbyterian and he was a fan of Jonathan Edwards. And so, so he likes talking about uh, the affections. And uh, as Edwards liked talking about the affections, and Edward, Edwards had this work that he called Christian Affections. And uh, uh, what he's getting down to is the love of God poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, carried out in the way the Bible indicates. For us, and uh, so he says, love is inclination, and uh, you don't really get that uh, unless you do a little exploration uh, uh, biblically and uh, understand Jonathan Edwards a little bit. But uh, what uh, Shed is uh, telling us here is that love involves the inclination of your heart, whether your inclination, whether you're inclined by God to embrace him and embrace Jesus Christ, or whether you're disinclined to embrace God and Jesus Christ. And when you're born again, what God does is change the inclinations in your heart. And he changes your disposition. This is the same, same idea. He changes your attitudes. This is a very good thing. <laughs> As we come to understand it. And so this is, this is why Shedd says... Love is inclination. He's getting after this subjective side again. How you are inclined in your heart. How, are you, how you are disposed in your heart with regards to the things of the Bible and the things of God. And so I tried to put it together this way in uh, number three uh, in the outline. This trinity should be small t. Uh, this trinity of love amounts to or leads to true Christian affections. The power of love, uh, Ezekiel 36, undergirding the conduct or definition of love 1 John 5, 3, worked out in a particular manner or having a particular character. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. 
And uh, so, so in the end, uh, it's these three things working together uh, that uh, God is after in your life and in my life to be worked out in us. And, uh, of course, the, the best example of all of this is uh, Jesus Christ the Lord, who is God incarnate. And uh, if we understand this properly, and as uh, John says, God is love, that here is Jesus Christ who is love incarnate. He is the great example of this love. The following of God's commandments in every way by the power of the Spirit at work in Him in this uh, uh, particular manner or exemplifying this character uh, uh, that is given to us in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, so now uh, turn back to uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And uh, we'll uh, zero in a little bit more on uh, verse 7, and uh, then I want to uh, uh, go to uh, verse 8. And as I say in, in number 4 in the outline, verse 7 accentuates the idea of this uh, trinity of love. Uh, verse 7, love bears all things. Love believes all things, love hopes all things, love endures all things. And I don't think it's the idea that uh, love walks into situations and just blindly believes everything that's said and uh, blindly believes uh, everyone who uh, says anything, uh, that that's not exactly uh, the idea. Uh, uh, you get a flavor for what's happening uh, in the words love bears all things and love endures all things. Uh, and I refer you to First uh, Peter uh, chapter 4 and verse 8 uh, in this uh, uh, conjunction along this line. So uh, turn to First uh, Peter, First Peter chapter four, and uh, verse eight. So here's another uh, verse on love. Above, above all. Keep loving one another earnestly. Now, the kind of love that Peter is talking about would be uh, uh, the conjunction of these three aspects of love that we've already talked about. Uh, the definition, the commandments, uh, the description, 1 Corinthians 13, and the power of love uh, that's given by the Holy Spirit. Love one another earnestly. And... Uh, Peter is saying then, uh, or, or gives us an example of uh, how this love is worked out. 
Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. And, and the point would be that when you love one another, you overlook a lot in each other. This is what you do. And husbands and wives do this. Parents do this with their children because they love their children. They overlook a lot in their children. I really laugh at the commercial on television, maybe you've seen it, where the mother comes in to the room and the little girl has upended the box of pasta on the floor and is playing with the pasta on the floor. And uh, <laughs> now there are, there are a couple of different reactions you can have uh, to this kind of a circumstance. <laughs> yeah. uh, but love, you see, covers a multitude of sins, overlooks things. And uh, this is what uh, uh, the Apostle Peter is saying. And it's incumbent upon us to overlook much in one another. It's just absolutely essential that we do this. If we don't, pastor is jumping up and down and, oh, what happens? <laughs> the question is, what happens in the rest of the commercial? Well, the mother gets down and plays with the little girl. That's what happens. <laughs> happens in the rest of the commercial. Which is kind of interesting. Uh, and I think significant. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I didn't mean to leave you hanging. See, this, this is like uh, starting the sermon with an illustration and then letting it go until the very end. <laughs> you need to be, love is patient. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, love covers a multitude of sins. And uh, this, this is the idea that we're getting at in uh, 1 Corinthians 13 and chapter uh, 7. Love bears all things. Uh, love bears up under sorrow when suffering unjustly. Uh, years ago in preaching through First uh, Peter, and that's another text from First Peter, uh, my, my wife got a little bit uh, anxious uh, uh, as we uh, plodded our way slowly uh, through First Peter, uh, saying to me that I'm worried about what's coming next, Denny, uh, because we're supposed to bear up under sorrow and suffering unjustly. Uh, but uh, this is the case, and in the church we're going to meet circumstances where we think we are being treated unjustly and unfairly. And what does love do? Love bears up under sorrow and suffering unjustly. Love endures all things. Uh, love overlooks a multitude of sins. And, and aren't you glad that the great God of heaven doesn't 
come down with a two-by-four every time you get a little bit out of line in the sense of the Ten Commandments, or get a little impatient, or a little, are a little angry, or uh, are uh, a little puffed up in a circumstance or situation. Aren't you glad that God is patient with you? Love is patient. And uh, as the Apostle Paul says, uh, this patience uh, gives room for repentance. And when there's repentance, there's forgiveness. And God is gracious and ready to forgive. And uh, so, so uh, this bundle is uh, uh, particularly uh, important. And uh, uh, love endures all things. Uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans 5 and uh, in verse 8 speaks about God demonstrating His love in that while Christ died uh, for us, that this is God's demonstration of love, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And uh, you have to think about the things that Jesus Christ endured for the likes of you and me. Uh, while uh, we still lived in Sterling, Kansas, and and uh, I worked with the, uh, uh, a group of ministers there in the community uh, to do community uh, services. We had a fellow from Sterling College uh, uh, give a little devotion uh, for the community uh, on a Good Friday. And uh, he gave a description of uh, the agony of Christ in his sufferings uh, before the cross and on the cross. And uh, wh when you study this, it's ugly. It's ugly. And uh, one of the ministers in the community was outraged because uh, uh, this was just too graphic, and it, 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 it painted too ugly a picture. But <laughs> if you don't understand what Christ endured for you, you don't have a grasp on God's love for you. And... Uh, love endures all things. And when we're put in situations where uh, we uh, are suffering seemingly unjustly, we, we have to bear up. Uh, that's part of the process. That's what we need to do. And it's in this context then that the idea of uh, believes all things and hopes all things that comes into view. Because uh, in the end, you see, as uh, Romans 8.28 says, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purposes. And this is not just a text that you put on a plaque 
and hang on your bathroom wall. This is a reality. And uh, in every circumstance, no matter what it is, you can believe and trust that God is working out the best for you. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is. You can trust that God is working out the best for you. Because you understand the love of God and you understand uh, if your heart is properly inclined toward God, uh, you will understand that you love Him and you're uh, submissive to His will and you trust Him implicitly in every circumstance. This is what... Uh, uh, the love of God poured out in your heart does uh, for you and uh, for me. And uh, the idea of hopes all things, see, is the same. In every circumstance, uh, uh, the hope of God is in your heart. Uh, Dr. Scipione at the seminary, who... uh, uh, put together the counseling center there uh, has uh, some pretty severe asthma and uh, so he, he's taken a lot of medications uh, for his asthma and uh, th- this has, has affected as, as he would put it it's affected my joints so <laughs> I hurt a lot uh, he says and uh, uh, so just getting around is uh, uh, hard for him. And uh, he'll inevitably say to you, uh, when you ask him how things are going, he'll say, uh, I know the resurrection is coming soon. <laughs> and I will have a new body. <laughs> it's the hope of the resurrection that's present. And... Uh, uh, see, this is this is the idea in the text. The love of God is poured out in your heart. And th- this is why I say, uh, uh, verse 7 accentuates the idea of this trinity, uh, which involves the subjective side, the profoundly subjective side that undergirds how uh, the uh, love of God is worked out in your heart. And uh, Gordon Fee in his commentary says, Love never ceases to trust God and thus leave justice in God's hands. So when the bad thing happens, you have to back up and you have to say, in the end, everything will be set right and the scales of God's justice will be set straight. And God will take care of it. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We have to remember these things. And so then, verse 8, in 1 Corinthians 13, love never ends. Because... There is a profound priority on love, and it's 
this love that uh, is expressed in this uh, uh, trinity with a small t, these uh, three aspects, that uh, proves to be the best evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life, Paul says, love never ends. Love never ends. And of course, uh, this, this must be the case uh, because God is love. <laughs> and so therefore, love can never end. Uh, and uh, love does have, uh, by virtue of its very nature, Love has the priority in the life of the believer and in the Christian church. And in the end, you and I know that what captivates individuals who come into the church is the love of God that they sense and see. That's what captivates people. Uh, John says, no one has seen God at any time. And then he speaks immediately about the love of God being in us and among us. How do you see God? It's by God's love being expressed in the congregation. This is how you see it. And this is what God is after. It's a very, very profound uh, truth. And so, as I say in the outline, love never ends, it never fails, uh, literally it never falls, it never falls to the side, but love endures, it always carries on, it will always be. And then Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, 13.8, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And what Paul is talking about here is the special gifts that were given to the church. And uh, these special gifts uh, were undoubtedly evidences of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers in the New Testament church. There's no doubt uh, that this was the case. And uh, on the day of Pentecost, uh, when uh, there were those who spoke in other tongues, in other languages, uh, Peter said uh, pointedly uh, that uh, this was a manifestation of 
the presence of the Holy Spirit. And when Peter witnessed to the people in Cornelius' household, Gentiles, and the Holy Spirit came upon them, Peter exclaimed, How can we withhold water from these who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? And there was a manifestation of the speaking in tongues. This was an evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is undoubtedly the case. And in the church at Corinth, there was an exercise of uh, tongues and uh, uh, prophecy and uh, special words of knowledge. And uh, now Paul says to the Corinthians uh, in uh, chapter uh, 13, tongues shall cease. And uh, this, this is the conundrum, uh, isn't it? Uh, this is the difficulty in which we find ourselves. Uh, the question then becomes, when? When do tongues cease? And uh, the standard uh, interpretation... Uh, of uh, this text is that tongues cease at the second coming of Christ. That is that is the standard interpretation. And uh, I have surveyed uh, all the commentaries uh, that I've been able to survey, and none of them. Uh, that that uh, I'm aware of uh, speak to the issue of, well, if tongues do not cease until the second coming of Christ and uh, tongues remain normative uh, for the present era, then uh, where does that leave the rest of us who do not hold to the present uh, speaking in tongues as a preeminent manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the church of Jesus Christ. What does that do uh, to the rest of us? And uh, quite honestly, I'm, I'm left in the position uh, w- with regard to the standard interpretation of the text that uh, uh, we poor old Reformed Presbyterians need to mend our ways because we're wrong, you see. And our dear uh, Pentecostal and charismatic uh, brothers and sisters who love Jesus Christ, say, I, w- I wouldn't deny that this is the case, would say t- to you and to me, you folks are wrong. You do not understand the Bible correctly at this point, especially. Uh, uh, so, so there's a, uh, there's a little uh, anomaly here, would you not say? 
and uh, uh, this, this anomaly we must address. Uh, I think it's absolutely essential uh, that uh, we address this anomaly. Uh, and uh, uh, part of the way that uh, we address it is that I, I am utterly convinced that what the Apostle Paul is telling uh, us in this text is love is the preeminent evidence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And that when the Apostle Paul says, tongues shall cease, what he is referring to is the time when the perfection of Scripture is before us. And uh, so you read uh, the rest of the text here. Uh, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I restored, reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but, when, uh, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And in verse 10, I'm going to argue uh, uh, that uh, when Paul says in verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with, uh, that this is a reference to when the perfection of Scripture comes. In other words, when the canon is complete and we have the full-orbed Word of God to guide us in our uh, life and worship, then the partial passes away and tongues cease. So this is what I'm going to argue. And uh, again, uh, the basic argument is, uh, uh, coming off of the question, what is the best evidence, the most important evidence for the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer? The Holy Spirit, the love of God poured out in our hearts, the Holy Spirit's love exercised in the way the Apostle Paul characterizes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Okay. So that's what we're up to, and that's uh, where we're going to go. All right. Uh, questions or comments? Uh, I think what Paul is, uh, the, the question is, uh, prophecy, knowledge, and tongues are spoken of together, and uh, 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 these were three preeminent gifts that were exercised in uh, uh, the Corinthian church, and they prided themselves on these gifts. And uh, these are uh, supernatural gifts, all right? Uh, supernatural expressions of the Holy Spirit. And uh, so these uh, special uh, supernatural expressions of the Holy Spirit uh, pass away all right, uh, 
and give way to love. This is my, this is the argument uh, I, I'm presenting. Give way to love as the preeminent evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer and in the life of the church. Okay, that's the idea. Okay. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we're glad for your grace and we're glad for your word. And we want to learn from your word. We want to be individuals who have the love of God in our hearts and love one another as described and defined in Scripture. And we pray that that will be the case. And we ask, Father, that you'll... Uh, work that love out in our lives, uh, fully and completely. And uh, we pray that uh, this love will be not only evidenced uh, in us as individuals, but evidence within uh, our congregation here. We pray that, that this would certainly be the case. And as we uh, continue to look at uh, this text in 1 Corinthians 13, we pray that uh, we might be uh, individuals who are submissive uh, to your word and uh, love you and express that love by uh, being careful uh, with your word. We pray that this would be the case in Jesus' name. Amen.